Columbus Business First reporter, Haley Colombo. This is Crisis Management, a Columbus Business First podcast where we talk with local business and nonprofit leaders about how they're managing through the coronavirus pandemic. Today, we're talking with Urban League Columbus CEO, Stephanie Hightower, about how African-American and minority business owners are being impacted during the pandemic and why, as Hightower says, we may all be in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Thanks for listening. Hey, Haley. Hello. Hey, how's it going? How are you today? Great. How are you? Oh, it's crazy. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Stephanie, first of all, how are you and your family doing? Thank you, Haley, for the invitation today. And thank you for asking. Well, you know what? We've been blessed here in Columbus. My family is great. Um, We're all healthy. So thank you for asking how is your family as well as you're doing this work for Business First. Yeah, I mean, we're doing pretty well. I think maybe some folks who have listened to the podcast before know that uh, I have a, or my fiance and I have a new puppy. So that's been, (laughs) that's been our project. Uh, We happened to our puppy right before this all happened. So just kind of a weird timing situation, but. So wanted to chat with you about the Urban League's new Minority Small Business Resiliency Initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about this program and what the genesis of the program is? We all know that this pandemic particularly is disproportionately going to impact minorities and communities of color. And as I have been telling everyone uh, that, uh, you know, my, my, my favorite phrase these days, Haley, is we may be in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And so uh, we know that, again, as I said, that African Americans and people of color are going to be disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. And so that also extends into the small business arena. So not only the personal arena, but also uh, into the small business arena. So we already knew, especially in our community, that the small business agenda has, you know, had, you know, fits and starts. We have the privilege of being able to run one of the state's minority business assistance centers where we provide technical assistance in an 18-county area. And we already know that small businesses are already not struggling, but really haven't uh, been stabilized and, and, and been able to reach their full potential. Now, boom, here, you know, comes COVID-19. When we were asked by the county to work with another entity, we said no. Um, We want to be able to create our own resiliency fund because we have the cultural authenticity that we believe is needed in order to communicate with and attract those small businesses who may want and need assistance during this time that we could do it better and that we um, have the cultural competency and authenticity to really attract and give, and, and because we're a trusted organization, people would come to us. And so the county said, you're absolutely right. Uh, we then, the city also agreed. And so since that time, uh, we've been rocking and rolling. As of to date, Haley, we've had about 325 inquiries that have come yep. in for assistance. 
especially around uh, getting the PPP dollars. And we have had 50 companies have been approved of those 325. 50 have been approved for over $3.7 million. And what's really great is that we've been able to save about 895 jobs have been retained or saved because of our efforts. And what are a few stories that you've heard from clients and minority business owners who are grappling with this right now? What are some of those stories from the front lines of small business? Sure. Well, probably, you know, I know you're going to be speaking with Avery Frost, who is our program coordinator. But, you know, what we're hearing from small businesses is the fact that they didn't have and don't have the kinds of relationships with the financial institutions that they need to have in order to create successful businesses. And so one of the things we were able to do, and uh, Alex Fisher helped to lead this effort from the partnership, he was able to have a powwow with the major financial institutions in town, let them know about the work here uh, here at the Urban League with the Small uh, small Business Resiliency Fund. And uh, we've all been working very closely together to try to make sure that we, those those small businesses now, are strengthening their relationships with the larger banks. And so each one of those banks have also identified a direct contact personnel that Avery works with in order to, so we can begin to build those relationships. But that was one of the biggest things that we were hearing, not really having this kind of solid relationship needed. So when it was time to apply for those PPP dollars, they didn't really have anybody to call. Right. Um, and weren't comfortable calling anybody. Right. And as we've heard, so much of that, especially the first round, the demand for it was so great that those folks with, kind of those institutional connections at banks were really, you know, they already had the paperwork on file, they already had all the information, that sort of thing, so they were able to submit it right away. So you're saying, obviously, the fact that, you know, if you don't have a strong relationship set up already, it even just, just from a timing standpoint, people were out of luck. That is that is correct. And again, if you, if you didn't have a banker, you know, that you could call to help you to navigate the system, you know, that really did make a huge difference. It made a, made a huge difference. What can Columbus residents do to support minority-owned businesses right now? Is there anything that just kind of regular people, consumers can do on this front? You know what, I appreciate the fact that, and, and I don't know if many of, of you know this, but Councilman Harden and we joined his efforts to do Buy Black Thursdays, and mm-hmm. so that's well, I, we believe we should buy black every day. But you mm-hmm. know, let's put a, uh, a campaign in place, Buy Black Thursdays, which has been extremely successful. And so we've been proud to be a part of that Buy Black Thursdays. Supply chains are, I'm sure, being created now. And so you know, we know there's a lot of folks out there that are making masks in the minority community. So you know, how about uh, buying masks? from those individuals in the uh, in the black community. So it's um, those are the kinds of things I think to be mindful. And it's really just not about minority businesses, but it's all of our businesses, you know, in our in our city. 
you know, there's some of us who right now we know that the barber, uh, barbers and beauty shop folks are at a huge disadvantage. And so I know there were some of us who just decided, hey, we're just going to send that pay forward for that for that hair care or for the you know for those nails uh, down the road. And sure. my hope now is that we can use some of our funding to help those people with our from the housing stabilization funds because we know that a lot of those barbers and and those barbershop owners and beauty shop owners and nail salon owners have been out of work, you know, and have just been able to come back to work. So if there are some housing needs for them, you know, we want to be able to support them that way through our housing stabilization program. Do we have good data yet to to show in terms of who is applying for unemployment? Is it disproportionately or who has been essentially furloughed or laid off? Is the African-American or minority community being disproportionately impacted by um, our unemployment situation right now? Well, absolutely. I think there, you know, we've had uh, national studies, the New York Times, uh, I know ABC has done a study, uh, not a study, but they've been reporting on this issue. You know, the reality is is that the, the, the people of color and African Americans in particular, they are the last ones hired and the first ones fired. Uh, also, people of color are the ones that are the first responders. And so if one of them gets sick in the family and they're probably, a, you know, single head of household, then the whole family suffers. And so when you have all these frontline workers, your people that were in the restaurant industries, you were people that, not frontline workers, but people that were in the retail industry, people that were in food service, people that were uh, hotels, you look at your, your, in a school system where your janitors and your food service workers, all of those people have been laid off and have either been furloughed or laid off. And so we know that those low-wage jobs are the ones that people of color are uh, particularly, um, I'm not going to say stereotype, but the right word I'm trying to use, that that's where they're pigeonholed to go into. And so now that all these industries have been closed for, what, eight weeks, we know that there has been no income stream coming in for these families. And you mentioned your housing assistance fund. Um, So obviously, you know, like you're saying, no income is coming in or people are having to rely on unemployment. We know that there's been, you know, wait times and that sort of thing for that. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of your housing assistance program? And I know that you, uh, the Urban League has also advocated for emergency rental assistance at the federal level. Can you talk about why these issues are important? Let, let me just start out this way, because I think you have to put some things in context. Right now in uh, Columbus, Ohio, there are over 1,500 individuals and families in the queue for evictions when the moratorium is lifted on June 1. And so what we're trying to do right now is to uh, work and negotiate and help mediate with those landlords to try to get those evictions uh, dismissed before the before the courts uh, open up on June 1. And, you know, everybody knows that, you know, stabilizing renters and and the rental market through this crisis is going to help the economy recover. So, you know, stable housing is a basic need for, you know, anybody, not only just people, minorities, but Americans who are already struggling under the weight of this, you know, public health emergency. 
you know, again, the the pandemic is just, you know, it's 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 another reminder of just how vulnerable uh, workers are to, you know, one single setback they may have. So if they've lost their job or if their car breaks down or, or you know, if they're late on rent, you know, we know that this can actually take somebody out. So right now today, you know, we're, we're issuing another uh, hundred uh, checks today. We've uh, issued over 151 checks for uh, either rent or utility bills or whatever they need to remain stably housed. We've probably about, oh, I forget what the number is they told me today, probably over 100 families. Um, have been 125 families will be be awarded some of this emergency assistance, and so those okay. are 125 families that will now uh, won't be flooding our homeless uh, shelter system because right. we've been able to stabilize them for at least another month or so. It's obviously it's never a good time to be homeless. That's a struggle all the time, but especially right now, you know whether you know shelters are are, you know, it's a struggle to physically distance people, that sort of thing. And when you talk about the fact that we're all, you know, right now under a, I guess, stay-at-home strong recommendation, it's really interesting and sad to kind of juxtapose that with evictions, you know, lining up when the courts reopen, how those things obviously don't really see eye to eye where the government is telling you to stay home, but also the government could be evicting you. <laughs> So, um, and, and that level of stress, I, I just, I can't imagine. Like I said, we believe that having, you know, again, stabilizing renters in the rental market is going to help this economy recover. And so that's why we think this program is so, why we know this program is vital and so important. And is this something that you feel that you guys have adequate funding for, or could you use more funding for it? Like, how is the demand for it in line with the resources you have? The demand is far greater in the since since May since since the pandemic hit, or when we did start at shelter in place, we've received over five thousand calls. There was the first couple of days, we probably were receiving 100 calls an hour. We had to literally, through generosity of some funders, United Way, the county, you know, Nationwide Foundation, Battelle, you know, we've had to, we've been able to hire some additional people. The call volume is so great, we just couldn't keep up with it. And I mean, I'm, I've been amazed at my team, how they're keeping the call logs of the number of people that are called. It's just, it's been incredible. But yeah, over 5,000 calls uh, in the last, um, in the last seven weeks. Oh my gosh. So do you anticipate that this will continue, you know, even after some of these businesses reopen um, and that sort of thing, do you think that we're still going to feel the economic impacts of this for a long time to come? For 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 communities of color, absolutely. We never did. We the the, the black community never fully recovered from the housing crisis, uh, right. and so now here we are again. So, absolutely, we're we're you know this pandemic has basically lifted the rug up over all the disparities 
that were going on already, and so it's and and now it's just exacerbating it even more. So, yeah, I don't see this is this is probably at least a good two or three year window where we're going to be having to continue to be do our due diligence and be intentional around stabilization for housing for small businesses um, in 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 communities of color. And what do you need from either the state level or the federal level? What What is the Urban League advocating for? From a housing stabilization standpoint, you know, we believe that we, we've got to get some of our laws changed as it relates to evictions in the state of Ohio. Uh, once, you, when you, once you have an eviction, it stays on your record. Um, it may not be publicized on the website, but it still it stays in your record, and so a landlord can, you know, dig it up somewhere possibly, and so that keeps you from finding stabilized housing. You know, I, the other pieces for business folks, we know through this pandemic that, you know, with their businesses not being stabilized, you know, there's going to be probably credit repair that's going to be needed for small business owners, not only for their business, but also personally. And so, you know, we're going to be able to continue to be innovative in our approach to offer our financial literacy in a way that it talks about credit repair, it talks about wealth building, it talks about how to keep your businesses strong. So we, those are going to be the kinds of things that we're going to be working on at the, at the Urban League. You obviously talked about before, um, you know, this phrase that we're all struggling, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. For folks who haven't, you know, thought about maybe the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on people of color, what do you want them to kind of take away? Like, what do you want to leave folks with in terms of how to think about the disproportionate impact? The one thing I will say is, you know, when we talk about race, not only in this community, but in in this country, you know, it's an uncomfortable conversation. And so, you know, when you have when you have all of this data now and stats that it basically is is underscoring what we've already known in the black community about disparities, what I would just love to see in this community and, and beyond is just a recognition that it exists and that we mm-hmm. don't judge people uh, and that mm-hmm. we understand that there are going to have to be additional resources put into urban settings and organizations like ours to help build the level of capacity to make our community a strong place for businesses to want to come and for people to want to live. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're all we all are all in this together and everybody wants, you know, Columbus and Franklin County to have a strong economy. But what we have to recognize is we may have to do a little bit more over here on this side of the fence to help get us caught up with the years and years and years of discrimination and inequities that have existed, nobody's pointing the finger, but I think because folks didn't really understand the level of the disparities, we've just allowed for it to get worse. And so now we have an opportunity through this pandemic, Haley, for all of us to keep our eyes wide open. And, you know, we can make change and we can sort of co-create a, you know, robust future when businesses have thousands and thousands of people to be consumers, and the way we do that is that we strengthen all of us um, at once, not and we don't leave anybody behind. 
what else should folks know about how they can get involved or any other initiatives that you think are important to share about? You know, the other thing that I think people, and this came out and really was an interesting piece for the PPP dollars, one of the stipulations and restrictions was that if you were a convicted felon, you could not apply for PPP dollars. Now, here's the irony of this. We encourage our ex-offenders and our reentry people because we have a program here because they usually have a label that will not allow them to get adequate employment, um, Mm -hmm. you know, anything, you know, less than probably minimum or more than minimum wage. We encourage people to be entrepreneurs. And so here we have the situation where we've encouraged people to become entrepreneurs, start your own business, and they were not allowed to apply for PPP. So, right. you know, as as we see, you know, the prison system releasing uh, more folks, the jails releasing more people, we're going to continue to encourage those individuals to start their own businesses because we know that, you know, minimum wage is not going to be enough for them to survive. And we think that's critical important is that we really uh, make sure that our, our reentry individuals have the adequate tools and resources they need to be successful, successful such as housing, uh, having a job, being able to uh, have food on the table, and especially in the urban core, there's food insecurity. So, so that's one of those sort of ironic pieces that I'd like to leave everybody with. We, uh, yeah. we, we try to encourage entrepreneurship, but if I happen to be an ex-offender, then I don't get PPP money. Yeah, like you're saying, it's one of the kind of ironies, kind of cruel ironies of this time, and it just you know another kind of way that it, it disproportionately impacts folks. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for for joining the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh no, thank you for the opportunity to share and to talk about our work at the Columbus Urban League.